0: Guys, you feel that nagging itch, like there's something missing in your life. You know there's greatness inside of you, but you're uncertain about how to tap into it. The Heroic Man Podcast will help you gain the knowledge and confidence to become the man you were always meant to be. Let's face it, life's short. At the end of the journey, you don't wanna look back, wishing you'd lived a fuller life, taken more chances, stopped worrying about what everyone else is thinking, and pursued your own dreams. Now's the time to make every second count. Now's the time to stop dreaming about an epic life and start living it. And now's the time to stop being ordinary and start being heroic. Because every man has the right to be the hero of his own story.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the show. Today, I want to go down in the trenches with you and introduce you to a guy whose story is really going to inspire you, especially if you're struggling and you're at one of those crossroads in life where you're not sure what to do next. His name is Sean Kim, and at a very young age, he put everything he had behind his vision and his dream, and you're going to hear in a second that it wasn't a Cinderella story. He faced enormous challenges and struggles. And I am sure that there were times when he felt like giving up, abandoning his dream, and going back to a conventional life plan. But Sean stuck it out. And I think you're going to find that his story is both courageous and inspiring. And it's a bit sobering if, you think, if you're thinking about pursuing your own dream. But I don't find Sean's story as a cautionary tale at all, as much as I see it as an inspiration that we all need to play life to win. We need to pursue our dreams, we need to stop living by other people's scripts, and we need to invest in our passions. So with that, let me stop talking and say, welcome, Sean. I'm glad to have you on the show, man.
2: Thanks a lot, Bragg. It's amazing to be here and be connecting with your audience. I'm very excited to be on here today.
1: Yeah, so hey, listen, I kind of teased everybody with your story just a second ago, but let's jump into it. Why (laughs) don't you tell everybody kind of what your adventure was?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends how far we want to go back. But, you know, I've had multiple routes of where I wanted to go with my life. And I guess the most recent one is, you know, I I got this job at this company after dropping out of university and that was already tough enough having more or, more or less conservative parents that wanted me to you know, go to the job of you know, go becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer. So already there was some personal conflicts within my family and I was very into startups. And that's the company that I decided to go with. And after a while, I wasn't really satisfied with what I was doing. So from living in Montreal and living in Toronto, I wanted to go into uh, to New York City. And that's where I really wanted to, to have my stride. And I was actually kicked out of the country. I was rejected for my visa and... From there, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I had my place that was uh, rented out in Toronto. I closed the contract there, and everything that I had was going to be in New York. I had a place to live. I had a job. That was going to be that next chapter of my life. And here I am standing in, I think it was Buffalo, New York, where you know, I wasn't allowed into the country at all. So they basically sent me back on a bus to go back to Toronto, where I didn't have a place to live. I had nothing. And, you know, two weeks later, after talking with the company, I got fired from the company. Oh. They, just, they just had nothing to do with me because, you know, the visa costs and anything like that. And, you know, I've just never felt like I was... There was just no control that I had with this... Situation. I was completely controlled. Like, I had no power whatsoever. I got kicked out of the country. No power about that. Uh, in terms of just trying to negotiate for the job, you know, they, they fired me on the spot, and you know, I just felt very powerless. And I remember thinking to myself, I never want to feel this way ever again.
1: Yeah, that's got to be tough. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, you're right. You do feel powerless, and and um, that, that's got to be a tough situation. So, what did you do? So, you know,
2: I, w- I was in a hump, I was in a slump I had, you know, in Toronto, it was at a place where I didn't really have too many friends either. I was living in Montreal, uh, as we discussed, and that was where a lot of my friends were. So here I am in Toronto and I'm trying to look for anything at this point. I was, you know, I was at a place where if you're looking at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where you have, <laughs> yeah. you know, food and shelter in the bottom and then you've got, you know, other stuff coming up. I was, you know, I was literally at the bottom. So. I had to find, you know, an apartment, and I really took the step one by one. And I'm, I'm not sure if the, the readers that are, or the listeners over there can relate to a certain degree, but I was really in a, you know, large slump and, you know, got my place first, got, went grocery shopping, and then I started looking for jobs. That was the next step. And, um, you know, it was, it was a rough path for the last, for the next two months of my life, where I was just very confused about what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. So, did you try to fight the visa, the visa situation at all, or did you just say, you know, I just need to make just plan a new direction here?
2: Oh, I tried to do everything I possibly could. Um, I I've tried to go through another visa. I tried to go through. Um, I try to pay an extra amount so that I could get expedited. But at a certain point when the company that is supposed to hire you doesn't want to associate with you anymore, uh, it was at a point where you know I, I had to go and get another job in New York and I, I know how long that could take to really get through. So it was really, there, were, there, was, a, there was a massive barrier where I had no control over, over what I was going to do next.
1: Yeah, yeah. So after you had the two month period where you know you were in that slump, I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I, it sounds to me like your, you know, your emotional state wasn't really at a peak, and I'm sure probably all of your friends and family were, you know, probably telling you to get back, you know, back to school or back to you know whatever the regular life plan was. How, you know, what was your what was your mental state like?
2: Yeah, I've, I've got phone calls from you know my my friends and people that were worried about me telling me to go back and just telling me to either go back to school and you know finish my degree and people that were telling me to just get this job and people were really generous about it. People were telling me that you know I could I could help you out in this specific job. And it wasn't glorious or anything like that. But I think the one thing that really kept me together was I had a vision for what I really wanted my life to look like. And it was very fixated on having the type of lifestyle that i knew that i could have and it was never gone although i was you know completely broke i didn't have Really, anything that was going for me. I didn't have a job. I couldn't get into the United States. But one thing that never really changed was the mindset and the vision that I had, you know, in whether it was a year, whether it was a couple of months that I knew that I could live the lifestyle that I wanted as long as I continue working through that path. So I think what really helped me was I was reading just everything I possibly could. And the specific things I was reading were were actually biographies of successful people. So I've I've read Richard Brandt, Ranson, I've read Oprah. Uh, I've read tons of these different books where there was a, there was a s- succinct pattern that every one of these successful people had went through a massive obstacle when they were living their lives. And that really helped me relate and really just made me think, okay, this is something that I need to go through. This is something that, you know, I need to go through some sort of struggle in my life. And it's just gonna come out to become a better story once I do succeed. And that's, the, that's really the way I thought about it. Um, and you know, maybe not everyone can think of it that way, but that's what it really helped me get through.
1: Well, right, I mean, the hero's journey, right? Every hero has to go to, through the, you know, basically through the fire with the point where, they're, you know, where their doubt is like, you know, at an all-time high and they're feeling like this is never gonna work.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's, you know, even, even today I think a lot of successful people still have those, have those doubts, but I think you learn to deal with it much more effectively as it continues to um, have this happen. So even looking back at it now, I'm really glad that all of this happened because now I know that when struggles do come up, when obstacles do come up, which, which they will for all of us, then I've learned a better way to really deal with it. That, you know, I can really shake it off. And I know that because of the struggles that I've been through before that were much more you know, impactful, I know that I can get through whatever obstacle that's going to come up next.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a doubt, though, that it might not work?
2: Yeah, there was, uh, you know, long nights. There was nights where I didn't sleep and, you know, I was, and really a lot of the times was was because I just wasn't taking care of myself. Um, My mental state, my physical state, it was, I wasn't eating right, I wasn't exercising because I was trying to figure everything out. And it was, it got to a point where I started exercising again. I, you know, I started going on runs, I started eating much more uh, healthy, in a healthy way and my mindset completely changed as well. Interesting. So, yeah, that was really the big shift for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really important because I mean, so much of, you know, so much of the way your outlook on the world is about how you feel, and if you improve the way you feel, you know, physically, then you're going to pr- improve your mental state. So, yeah, th- that's th- that's that's really great. How how much how much negative pressure were you getting from you know the people around you in terms of. You know, particularly as time goes on, right? It's like, you know, everybody's supportive in the beginning, but as you know, time marches on a little bit. They're sort of like, okay, what's the plan?
2: Yeah. You know, it wasn't actually, it wasn't that kind of pressure where people were telling me like, you know, get a job, get a job or do this, do this. It was more that, and I think this is really what pushed me is I felt that some people were kind of disappointed. You know, I had this big ambition to do something where I was starting my own business. I was doing all this stuff. And when things kind of hit the fan, people didn't really, I just felt like it wasn't, it was, people were very disappointed in the result and it pushed me to really prove something and really pushed me to do something more internally to, to show people that you know, I, can, I can bounce back. And it was that internal motivation that, um, I think a lot of successful people talk about this, where you know, people do have this, this need to 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 prove something to to themselves to other people and whether that's good or not that's really what pushed me in the initial stages.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you had a couple months of doing this, and then and then what was the spark? How did you how did you kind of you know find your toehold into where you're going to pivot this into What you're going to pivot this into?
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think about it now. I think um, I think around August and I was I was back in Montreal and I was speaking to my friends and it really kept me grounded and it wasn't you know I think for the first 2 months after this happened I was in such a rush panic and I was in this mindset of, of, of scarcity. It was I didn't have enough or I needed this, this, this this. I wasn't really thinking straight and when I got to you know speaking with my friends about what I should do, I became more abundant in terms of what I wanted to achieve in the world. you know I became more more optimistic in terms of what I could do and you know, of course, at first I didn't really have this idea. Not now, and I'm not sure if um, if your audience knows this, but I'm currently in Colombia, uh, running my own business right now. And it certainly didn't come out to this pattern, um, certainly didn't come to this right away. And I had to make multiple shifts and work really hard in terms of getting to where I am. But the biggest thing was for me that I just had much of an abundance, optimistic mindset and um, I took the necessary actions to, to make it happen. So how
1: did you move, though, from a, from a mindset of scarcity and fear you know, into abundance possibility? Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: I think, the, uh, I think the biggest thing was I, I, I went traveling. Um, I moved to Buenos Aires from Toronto and I realized that we live in such a big world and there's a lot of opportunities that are happening, but by being stuck in you know a one place, which is in Toronto for me, I wasn't really growing. I was constantly hanging out with the same people. I was constantly being surrounded by the same information and I wanted to really get out. And it wasn't an escape. It was more of a, you know, people, meet. I was really traveling to explore what else is out there. and because of that because i was really going out there uh, and seeing a different part of the world that really opened up my mind completely and whether it's you know i'm not recommending everyone should go to the other side of the world to go to argentina but whether it's a, a trip whether it's just taking a week off and really just not doing anything for a little bit and just opening up your mind you know there's a lot of possibilities that can can happen when you just open up your mind without having any stress and getting into the mind of more abundance
1: Interesting. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. So you changed all the stimulus in your life and essentially that kind of opened up your creativity to allow these other things to kind of come in.
2: Yeah, and it was, it was very difficult because, you know, I had really good friends that were living in, in Toronto and I had a lot of good friends living in Canada. My family was in Vancouver. So me packing up my bags and just kind of going to, to the other side of the world, it was, it came off as a, as a shock, but I knew, it just, I just had this gut feeling that this is exactly what I need to do in order for me to grow.
1: Yeah, right. Well, and I mean so many people in the lifestyle design thing have done things like that and they've all come back and said, you know, similar stories about how it's, you know, changed their perspective and it's opened them up to possibilities that they didn't they couldn't have imagined before they gone they went.
2: Oh, my God. It's completely. And it's, 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 it's amazing, Brock, because we live in a world where now you can start an online business and you can live, you can start a location independent business and you can, you can, you can live anywhere around the world by doing what you love. And it's it's amazing what's possible for for the world today.
1: Yeah. So so when you so you know, after you had this experience, did you have kind of a, a grand epiphany about okay, here here's what my next step is, here's where I'm gonna go, here's my business idea, or did it kind of, you know, did you start experimenting with different things until you found kind of the one?
2: Yeah, the biggest thing I think I just started surrounding myself with people that have already done it and I joined the mastermind school of greatness as you know as I'm sure we we've also, we've met, we've been met through that program and it was such a transformation for me because That was pretty much my life for a while and I didn't have that kind of exposure in my life until that moment when I joined uh, the SOGA group and started interacting with a lot of these different people getting feedback much more quickly and it wasn't really something that I had before in my life. And before that, you know, I really opened my mind in terms of what I wanted to do and the direction that I wanted to take my business. When I first got started, it was kind of this, you know, this gray cloud of really not making, really not making sure of which direction I should go to. But you know, once I got to a place where I was getting instant feedback from people, getting honest feedback, and being surrounded by people that have already done it, it was really uh, such a shift for me. So I truly believe that you are the average of the five people you hang out with.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of that, you know, so I've, obviously the the mastermind group of the School of Greatness. But beyond that, did you have any mentors or any other folks that were guiding you through the process?
2: I actually hired a coach, uh, believe it or not. And it it got to a point where I didn't actually have a lot of money to hire a coach, but again, it was that vision that was really taking me forward and I said, uh, what can I do? What are the advantages that I can give myself? What are the leverages that I can really give so that I am making sure that I'm, I'm positioning myself for success as, as fast as possible and hiring a coach really helps and I recommend you know, everyone do that. I think a mentor who is really busy can only help you so much because just they don't have that lack of time but having a coach that is a mentor but is essentially you're paying them to give focus all their attention on what you should do as your next step you know that was really a shift for me
1: yeah definitely you know i've i've had kind of a similar experience kind of in in multiple areas of life i mean everything from like fitness on and it's interesting about how much and how fast you progress when you you hire you know a, a coach to help you i think part of it is is it sort of changes you in terms of your commitment level to to the thing that you're setting out to achieve, and then the second is is that you know they bring in so many new ideas that you wouldn't have thought of on your own that really kind of help accelerate you forward. How did you how did you create a criteria for you know the kind of coach you were going to hire and then the coach's qualifications?
2: Yeah, the the biggest thing for me was I needed to get along with this with this person. I, I'm very much a, of a, a personal person relationship wise. And I knew that I wanted this. Uh, for me, the best relationships and the best business contacts uh, hashtag are the ones that I've really developed a friendship. And I. Don't really look at networking in terms of, you know, I give you my business card and you give me your business card. It's really this the quality of the relationship is something that I really value. And I wanted the same thing for my coach. I wanted a friend that I can, you know, exchange jokes with and also be able to really help me and become a mentor. Uh, the second thing is, of course, they had to have achieved a certain level of success that I wanted to have in the next year or two. And. The person that person was going to be able to help me get through, you know, each of the steps that I wanted to take, and um, that was really the two main criterias. But a lot of it was just that gut feeling because of, you know, I just knew that there was a good feeling that I had.
1: Yeah, because there's so many folks that are like either life coaches and, or they're, you know, business coaches, and you know, and I find it's interesting because so many people. Don't really even understand what internet marketing or online business is even about. This is kind of right. a black box to you know a lot of people who come up in traditional business, and it was just looking for kind of if you knew you wanted to move into you know that online business world, and if you were looking for a very specific kind of coach to help you with that.
2: Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, for me it was the it was I actually found someone through through Soga, which was Alex. And oh. Okay. Alex was, uh, was really helpful in terms of helping me get started. And what Alex really did was he was already in the online space and that's what really guided me into, into working with Alex. And I think I didn't really know that I wanted to be in this online internet marketing space until I realized that this was my strength and this was something that was going to be uh, something that I could really succeed in before I was trying out multiple other things and trying out different industries that I didn't really understand. and something just started to click when you know I, I realized that I really enjoyed this. This, this. this didn't feel like work. When I was writing blogs, when I was you know trying to think of different marketing campaigns, it was really interesting for me. So when I realized that I was spending five hours a day just learning about this without really exhausting myself, I uh, really told myself, "This is it. This is something that I want to make a living off of."
1: Yeah, that's really great. You know, I mean, I think the problem was so much of the you know the advice that you get kind of this you know out there in the general public. It's, you know, they tell you to follow your passion. Well, and in like in my case, you know, I'm a multi-passionate person. I have, I have probably more interest than I'll ever actually be good at. So it's, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, so it's hard to say this is the thing. This is the thing I'm right. really going to invest in. And I find a lot of entrepreneurs kind of have, have that issue. Or they wander around and go, I just don't know what that thing is going to be. I have all the passion. I have all the energy. I feel like all the gas is in the tank, but I just don't know where to go.
2: And I totally understand that. I'm, um, I'm this, I'm the definitely the the definition of a multi-passionate entrepreneur, uh, where I'm trying out a lot of these different things. And I like to limit myself in terms of the the marketing world because the marketing world itself is such a big industry that there's a lot of different things you can do within the marketing industry itself. And And that's kind of how I've been able to narrow myself uh, in terms of what I wanted to do. But I'm still trying to figure out more specifically, you know, what path is it that's going to be right for me?
1: Yeah. So what did you ultimately land on?
2: In terms of what I wanted to do with my career? Yeah. Yeah. So eventually I ended up starting my own consulting agency in marketing. And the way I got started on that is I started to connect with a lot of these people in Toronto, and they needed a lot of help in terms of getting the business started. I started a previous business before this, a company called Needle, where we had about 150,000 users that we acquired, and it didn't occur to me that was marketing, to be honest, Brock. And when these people started to ask me a lot of these questions, I had answers for them, and it was something that I was really genuinely interested in, especially after all the research that I've done. and. One by one, these people started to offer me, you know, it started out as $1,000 a month and then it started out as $2,000 a month. And then I realized I could just continuously charge these people more money throughout the month and I could do this for a living. So one by one, I started networking, I started getting referrals from one person and it was really that I just I really focused on making sure that I'm getting results for one person, just one person and focusing all my energy on that. And then when I realized that um, these people were very satisfied, I asked for a referral and these people had another company that wanted to get some help in terms of marketing. And that's kind of how I started to grow and it was really just about the quality of service that I provided.
1: Interesting. And then how do you scale, how do you scale that quality?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely working with the right people um, and getting the right people on board. So right now we, we do contracts. I have different people that help me out, not full time yet, but it's, it's someone that I go to, that's someone that I trust. Um, and it's really just about bringing on the right people that you think are going to be a good fit. Now, there's no easy real answer in terms of getting those right people on board. Uh, luckily for me, I had some relationships with different people that I worked with before and that was what I was helped, uh, able to go on. But. I understand that not everyone has that uh, network of people that they could work with when they first get started. So it's really just about testing things out in the beginning and seeing, you know, maybe it's a smaller project that could work. And you give them people, you give this person that um, you know, the control, the full control to take this on. And, you know, if it works out, then you should definitely work on. And if it doesn't, then you should probably look into another person. So it's really just about testing. There's no real easy formula, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely, you know, the case. It's, it's funny, I, I ran a company kind of like this about a decade ago. And it, that was really the toughest thing. It was tough to find, you know, the folks that could help you grow the business as, you know, as the reputation grew and, the, and as the, you know, the client base got bigger.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and what I'm actually trying to do is, um, I don't, my future plan isn't actually to grow my consulting agency to its full potential, Um, I'm actually trying to shift into more informational products, and one of the products that I have is Excel Blog, and that's basically what I'm trying to transition towards, which is, you know, right now I can only work with people one-on-one, but... In order to scale it, I'm trying to productize the consulting services that I'm already providing, and that way I'm able to reach more people. So that's kind of the next step that I'm working on.
1: Yeah, and that makes total sense because so many people, so many clients that, that you know, any, any business like this works with has the same problems, the same questions, and ultimately needs a variation of the same solution. So this makes, that makes total sense
2: yeah definitely definitely trying not to you know exchange time for money I think that's the best way to really uh, maximize what your what your time provides
1: yeah definitely so what what has been what has been your biggest um, let's say your biggest struggle in making all of this happen
2: uh, to be honest it's it's myself really it's I, I think I think Anyone can do anything as long as they put their mind to it. But the biggest thing that really gets in the way is, is ourselves. And I, I mentioned before that I wasn't really taking care of myself before. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping right. And what happens is you lose the focus, you lose the motivation, and that becomes the, the major doubt that comes into your brain. Uh, and so soon after, you start doubting yourself, am I doing what I should be doing? You know, if I'm not getting results in a week, is this really the right market? So there's a lot of doubts that come in. And you know, if you hear a lot of these entrepreneur stories, the biggest things are that people just didn't really persist. People didn't continue to do the work that they did when, you know, it takes a year or two to really validate something. Right. Like that, pe- go ahead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying that people generally give up halfway through. So that was really the, the biggest struggle was overcoming my own doubts.
1: Yeah. Like that old Napoleon Hill story, like the three feet from gold story. You know? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah, you don't want to stop three feet from gold. So, and, and what about, and if you had it to do over again, you know, what, what would you do differently? Hmm.
2: I probably would have gotten extra help, like additional help, much earlier. I actually, it took me a while to join Soga. It took me a while to to hire a coach. And I realized that things really started to come together once I once I had those people around me, and once I had Someone that was focusing all of their attention on helping me become more successful, helping me become more focused, and it was really at that those two moments where I started to pick up things uh, and things started to really uh, accelerate. Before it was just me, it was myself, and I was trying to motivate myself. I was trying to figure out all myself, and I think I think the uh, whole abundance action of being able to rely on different people, getting help, asking for help, and finding people that have done what you have already done and trying to model what they've done. I think that was really the, the big shift. And you know, I think when people start out, I think they should get help as, as fast as possible.
1: Do you think that's part of the entrepreneurial's peril, though, it's like you know, somehow we've all be- come to believe that we need to go out there and do this on our own, and it's like you know, we're carving a path in the frontier, and that that's part of what limits us to actually go out and ask for this help?
2: Yeah, I think I definitely think so and I still struggle with that a lot of the times because we have this need to make everything so perfect and I'm not I'm not just talking about a mastermind or hiring a coach a lot of it is outsourcing the work that you don't want to do and I'm definitely a perfectionist I'm certainly guilty of that and when I'm trying to do these little tasks that take an hour to do, which may not have this massive effect on the result of my business, you know, it, it's something that I should definitely be outsourcing and getting additional help on. So I know as entrepreneurs, we want to do everything, we want to make everything perfect, but it's something to really look at cuz the opportunity cost would be you know you could be getting another client or you could be getting another customer when you when you're when you're you know on photoshop let's say spending an hour on a design
1: yeah that's a, that's absolutely true i mean even this morning i'd sat here you know working on editing a video just because it just seemed like it was too much of a hassle to go find somebody else that could help me with it <laughs> I'll just figure it out myself. You know, I mean, so, so you know, so like those things, I totally get that. I totally, I totally understand that. What do you use? How do you find people like that? How do you find those resources?
2: Um, yeah, so for my marketing, I've got these the relationships already built. So I'm working with two or three people um, and I'm, I'm able to, I know their strength, I know their skill sets, and I'm able to give out work that I'm not... I'm not either skilled enough to do or I just simply do not want to do because it's going to take a lot of time so in terms of marketing that, that is something that I go to. Um, In terms of the other miscellaneous tasks, I'm actually trying to look for a virtual assistant right now because again, I, I definitely, I'm, guilty of making everything perfect. So I'm in this process of actually looking for a VA, and I definitely recommend everyone checking out the Chris Stucker Three Lists of Freedom, where you list out what you shouldn't do, what you don't want to do, and also what you can't do, and then trying to outsource those things together. So I'm actually in the process of, of doing that right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And then, and then, you know, for anybody who's out there thinking about doing something like this, whether, you know, a service business of any kind, how did you, how did you kind of find your first clients? Because I know so many, you know, so many people, sometimes that they go (laughs) off on their own and they're sort of thinking, okay, I'll do this on the side until I get it up and going, you know, while they have a real, you know, while they have kind of a day job. And that's kind of one method. And that there are other people who kind of, for whatever reason, that day job just blows up and goes away. And then they're like between a rock and a hard place between do I try to find something else or get it going? And obviously, if you're in that situation, you got to make it move a little faster. How do you, how do you go out and find you know, those initial clients?
2: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, for for one, I think when there is someone out there that has a nine-to-five job right now and entrepreneurship or doing something on their own really interests them, I wouldn't recommend anyone to to quit their job um, and I, I would actually recommend people to validate whatever they can while they are getting a steady income. Because it's definitely possible to, to work the nights or to, to do the weekends, to do that little validation, to get on a call with a customer. And I definitely would recommend that. But for me, what I did was um, there is this platform that I use called AngelList. And it was a little bit of a hack. So I'm not sure this actually applies to everyone, Brock. But there was a platform called AngelList where you have a lot of these different technology companies that are looking for hiring, that are looking for investors. And I went through that platform and I just started to reach out to every single person that I could possibly find that was a good fit for what they were looking for. And I just got on a call with all of them. So it was a mix of hustle, it was a mix of being a salesman, and really being confident in myself, knowing that I can deliver these, these results to, to the companies that I was working with.
1: Well, yeah, and I also think too, is it was a smart use of, again, digital technology, To, rather than pick up the phone and just start calling a bunch of places, you know, you've you've found some, you know, you found folks that already had an established need.
2: Yeah, and it's you know whatever industry that people are in, I think there are databases that you can get access to, whether it's LinkedIn groups, whether it's Facebook groups, whether it's forums. uh, There's a lot of these different databases depending on what business you're in. And, you know, especially with LinkedIn, it's, it's 100% possible to spend two hours a day and, you know, be able to get these clients right
1: now. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to give guys in the audience, you know, some advice about pursuing their own dream, what would you, what would you tell them?
2: The number one thing would be that they have to really love it. And I've made so many mistakes of that. And I know a lot of other people have where... You don't love it enough, and that really leads to you know quitting at the at the end of the day. Whether it's six months, whether it's two years, whether it's three years. So unless you really love the the problem, it's something that you can relate to. Um, I think that's really where you should start out uh, in the beginning. And then the second thing is you you have to have some sort of expertise in it, which really comes with being passionate about it because if you're passionate about it then you're going to spend those extra hours and you're going to be researching online you're going to be reading books about it so i think there is a sequence of being passionate about it being an expert on it and then the last step would be someone actually has to want it so you know if we are teaching people how to Um, let's say knit (laughs) and it's just something that no one really wants in our audience then It, it doesn't matter if you're passionate about it, it doesn't really matter if you're an expert on it. So I would say passion first, expertise, and then having a market that would actually be able to pay for your product. And, you know, sometimes it just comes with validating things really fast. So what I do generally is if I'm, let's say, starting an online business, then what I would do is I've, I put up a landing page with the description of what my service is and allow people to opt in with an email. So I have that up and I usually use my own email list. I talk to my friends or I just use Facebook ads or Google ads to get some traffic on there and I see how many people are actually opting in. And that's generally how I validate all of my businesses online. If I'm selling some sort of a informational course, if I'm doing some consulting, um, then what I would do is I would put on a live webinar and I would put on a you know great value out of, of what it is that you can uh, serve people on and see if people would be able to be interested in, in working further with you, whether it's a consulting gig or whether it's someone would want to purchase your, your product. So um, I would highly recommend everyone to to sell before they create it, if they can.
1: You know, that is such an interesting idea and I think that again, I think if you take the guys that are, you know, in the audience who are you know coming from a corporate world where everything has to be spit polished to a high shine before it ever sees, you know, the market, this is an exact right. opposite kind of approach. I mean, this is much more of the lean startup, you know, yes. minimum viable in this case there's no minimum viable product. There is no product. I mean, this is just straight <laughs> market testing. <laughs>
2: it's it's so scrappy yeah but i think the the biggest thing people the, the reason why i really recommend this is is for one it's just no time no money no investment because i think people really overplay how much time it takes to even get it launched um and without any idea of whether people are interested so whether they are you know sometimes people take three months or five months to build something and they launch it yet no one is interested and even throughout those three or four months, they're constantly thinking to themselves, are people gonna be interested? Are people gonna be interested? Are people gonna be interested? So the, the 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 lean startup approach where you're validating something, you know, you could do that in maybe three days or four days. You know, if people like it, then you should definitely build it, knowing that people would buy from you, or you cannot build it because no one's interested and you can move on to the next idea, take another three days to validate something. So when you're doing that over a span of a month, you're definitely you're gonna have the opportunity to um, get to a point where people are actually looking for what you want to build. So I would say that's the fastest way to really validate something.
1: Okay. So let's let's dive a little deeper and let's 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 put some specifics on the table in terms of sure. If you're going to put a new idea out there, and okay, so you go out and you create a landing page, which essentially is is its whole point is to gather an email address to say, you know, they're interested in learning more information. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And then you go out and you promote it with Facebook ads and Google ads, or you use the webinar approach? So you could do both
2: technically. Uh, webinar approaches, I, I've seen it work for Uh, coaching gigs or consulting gigs where people would want to work with you or if you are selling some sort of uh, a membership or program so a lot of that is more in the online space now if you are looking to launch your own startup idea um, it might be actually better to Collect those emails instead, because you can reach more people. Because you can only get so many people onto the live webinar. So if you only have, let's say, five people on the live webinar, then it doesn't really show you much. So um, you know, I would recommend if you're looking to reach a larger audience and you're looking to build that larger consumer company, then you know, targeting targeting those um, landing pages are are probably the way to go.
1: Okay, and then when you put and when you put those out there in again, you know, Facebook, Google, whatever. What are you putting down in terms of a budget and then what are you looking for in terms of how much response rate are you looking to uh, generate before you say, I think this might be, I think this one might be a winner?
2: Yeah, and there's there's no real easy answer to it because you'll have to do a lot of testing. So the first thing I would recommend people to use is when you get that landing page up, um, first of all, there's a lot of tools you can use. You can use Instapage, you can use LaunchRock, you can use Lander app, Unbounce. There's a lot of, uh, tools out there where, you know, you don't need to know any code at all and people can get a landing page up in literally, you know, 30 seconds if they wanted to. Um, the second thing I would recommend people to use is Optimizely, which allows you to A-B test what's working and what's not. Now, I don't know if that's too technical, Brock. Um,
1: no, I don't think so at all. I know, I okay. think this, I think, I, you know, because I think so many people hear about this, but they still don't know what to do. And I think this is a great conversation.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a lot easier than people think. Um, Optimizely is, is just a tool that allows you to A-B test Um, what's working and what's not so it measures you know how many people see your blog or see your landing page and how many people actually sign up Um, and what I would do is I would just test out different things so the first thing you should test out is the header page the the description of the app itself because maybe you're not communicating it effectively enough for people to understand so you know I would try out three different um, headlines describing your product and see which one resonates more with the audience. And then the second thing I would recommend people to do is target different audiences. So maybe you think the your original audience should be 35 to 45, but you know, if no one is signing up, it doesn't mean your product is bad. Maybe you should be targeting people that are 25 to 35. So I've worked with a lot of people where there was no interest at all on certain ages or certain genders, but when they did some Facebook ad testing, which you know, Facebook allows you to have all of those and tests and segment all of those different audiences um, where they 've targeted twenty five to thirty five instead of thirty five to forty five they 've just had a lot more reception a lot of pe- a lot more people sign up and they learn that that 's the audience that they want to go for
1: yeah, definitely, and I think a lot of people have ideas that the budgets for all of this stuff are much bigger than they need to be i mean I think they have ideas of you know they're going to put ten thousand or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars into doing something like this. We're not talking budgets anywhere close to that, are we?
2: Oh my God, no! I've I've tested out ideas for five bucks. Um, landing page itself, like LaunchRock, Instapage, those are all free. So you can get a landing page up in you know less than a minute for free. Optimizely is also free. And what you're really paying for is if you if you don't have an audience already, you would need to go with something like Facebook ads. And And Facebook ads, you know, you can be spending $10, maybe $20 to validate if if this is working or not because you don't need thousands of people coming to your site to know if it's not working if no one's signing up then it's probably a good idea for you to test out a different headline or test out a different audience and just spend ten dollars on each of those so you know if you're lucky you can spend five or ten bucks and you can you can know right off the bat in a matter of two or three days whether this works or not or you know you may be spending another extra twenty or thirty dollars but nowhere near hundreds or thousands or even you know close to ten thousand.
1: Okay. And then once, and once you have, okay, so once you've got that, all right, so you've got your idea, you say, I think this one's got legs to it. Then what? I mean, you go into product creation mode.
2: So from then, what I would suggest is those people that have shown interest and those people that have gotten their email list onto your onto your product, um, the first thing you should do is reaching out to them. And because you don't really understand why they signed up, that's the first thing you should be uh, getting in touch with. So get on a call with them and have a list of questions that you like to ask them. Because another thing that people do is they, they get people interested, they show that it's validated and they go ahead and build the product that they think the users would love. but. Um, it's it's really it's really hard to know what users would work the re, the real reason why users actually sign up unless you go ahead and talk to Them so that's the first thing you should do is really understand what the problem the users have and when I, what I should recommend is um, Don't actually share your solution to the exact point. I would actually recommend people asking what the problems the users have instead of saying that you know I'm building this this company or building this service, um, just try to ask them a simple questions like, hey, why, why is this uh, bothersome to you or what are you struggling with in this specific area? And that's how you really know that, um, that there's a problem here.
1: Okay. Okay. And then after they've answered all those questions, then you kind of go back and kind of boil those into a product. Is that what you do?
2: Yeah, when you when you have a better understanding of the problem and what users want, then you would be building what you call uh, a minimum viable product, mm-hmm. and um, that could either be that, that. I guess that really varies depending on what kind of company you're starting. If you are if you are coaching people, then you could give out a proposal to the specific problems that people have. If you are starting a, a startup, then you know you could either you could build it yourself or you could just have a sketch up. You could literally draw something on paper and. Or you could get, you know, hire someone for for you know, fifty bucks on Odesk or Elance to have like a very generic thing to build it for you, and then you have to go back to your users and see, you know, what do you think about it? What do you what do you like about it? What would you do? So basically, the the point is to build as little little as possible and. And to get customer feedback constantly throughout each stage of your product building process. So yeah, definitely is is all about users.
1: Yeah, and, and definitely it's like one of those things where you're building this relationship with these folks and they are essentially going to help you build this business.
2: Oh my god, 100%. And they're, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be talking about your product and your service to their friends. And and that's how you're really going to be able to spread the word uh, is to do things that don't scale in the beginning stages of, of your product building process.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing too is that once you really get to know these people, you really know the avatar for your product. You know, you know who these people are because you've been out there and you've been talking to them.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, I'm assuming that's how you know your audience so well, Brock. It's, you seem to have a very good grasp of, of who your audience is and, and who the listeners are, so, which is really impressive.
1: Yeah, thanks. I mean, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, talking, talking to these guys, I think, in terms of, you know, just kind of what their situations are and what their needs are and what they're thinking about. And, you know, I I definitely spend a lot of time, I think, in terms of just one on one conversations as well as as on, um, you know, surveying. I do a lot of that, too. And, you know, and you really do. You really get to learn about, you know, how you can serve your audience. So. So tell me, what is, what's kind of the next generation for, for your business? I mean, obviously, you say you're kind of making the pivot into the online products, but where do you see this going?
2: Yeah, so you know, my goal is to... I got my next product right now that's coming out, and I'm still in the early stages of it. So the, the, goal, the goal for me right now is to essentially automate what I'm doing right now with Excel blog where I've got leads coming in, when I've got sales coming in. And what I do is I use automated webinars to really scale the, the product sales itself and to reach as many people as possible. Um, but the next thing that I'm gonna really be working on is, uh, I guess I could talk about it. It's going to be an academy that brings in the best marketers online and and it's going to be an eight-week mastermind, I guess you could say, where each of these um, experts on online marketing are going to be able to teach, the, uh, teach, the, teach our users on how to become a successful marketer.
1: Oh, that's great. That's awesome.
2: That's- yeah, so it's very early stages right now though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really great. And that's really inspiring. And I think the internet gives so many people the, the opportunity to meet and, and interact with others who are doing things like this that we really couldn't have, you know, in any other way.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, we're living in a definitely interesting um, era and it's only going to get bigger in the next few years.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. Sean, man, this has been a really inspiring conversation so many entrepreneurs have battle scars and I certainly have mine, you know, but honestly, you know, I know that your challenges are about as severe as I've ever heard. And you know, it's really inspiring that you stuck with it, you refused to give up and everything is really working out for you now and you're kind of in your groove. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I wanna follow up with you and I wanna you know, follow the success of your business as you grow and you move forward. So in the meantime though, you know, I'd like to like, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit if somebody's interested in connecting with you either on, you know, just personally or on the service business or even on the new products that you're coming out with, how would they do that?
2: Yeah, they can, um, they can check out my blog, the and it's it's a blog that essentially talks about personal growth, talks about entrepreneurship, online marketing, and really just living a more adventurous life. So hopefully, you know, your audience would be able to to relate to some of that, um, or you know, they can feel free to send me an email at sean at thegrowthlist dot com.
1: Oh, cool, awesome, man. It's been a real pleasure having you on today, and I definitely look forward to talking soon.
2: Thanks again, Rod.
0: Thanks for listening to the Heroic Man Podcast. Can't wait for more? Visit heroicman.com where you'll find inspiring articles, fitness tips, and great resources for living your heroic life.